And we'll just look at one verse tonight and use it as a place to kind of center our thoughts concerning what, it, what godliness is all about and how God would have us to live and understand uh, our lives. Proverbs 15:33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Well, this verse deals with some subjects that are often found in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord, that's something that comes up over and over again. Um, wisdom, the subject of wisdom is there throughout. Honor and humility. Those are all uh, subjects that the writer of Proverbs, the writers of Proverbs, felt like were worthy of spending a lot of time and thought on. And so we're going to spend a little time and hopefully some thought on those subjects tonight. The fact that they're put together in one verse here shows that there's a very close connection between these subjects. Let me just bring out a little of that. First of all, there is no wisdom, and by that I mean true godly wisdom, apart from the fear of the Lord. Unless you have something of the fear of the Lord in your heart, you won't have any real godly wisdom. Um, Coinciding with that, there's no honor, and by that I mean true godly honor, honor from God, apart from humility. The world does a lot of honoring, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about honor from God, and that only comes where there's humility. Both the fear of the Lord and humility have to do with us as creatures taking our rightful position before our Creator. That's what humility is all about. That's also what the fear of the Lord is all about, taking our rightful position. Both the fear of the Lord and humility have to do with honoring God as God. So I'm just going to try to bring out some thoughts here from this verse and they kind of run back and forth between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse because they're so tied together. God does not give his wisdom apart from giving a person godly fear. God does not give honor in his kingdom apart from imparting godly humility. That's why he says, in Isaiah, to this man will I look, and this is God speaking, to this man will I look, even him who is poor and contrite of spirit. That's humility. That's the part, type of person God looks to and, and trembles at my word. One person said, God, God exalts no one but them that are truly humbled. So that means that where you detect that a person has some true wisdom from God and that God is honoring that person, you can be sure that that person somewhere along the line has been taught something of the fear of the Lord and humility. If you're, if you're getting some godly wisdom from someone, you can be sure there's been some humbling 
that went before that. And also some instruction in wisdom, which included the fear of the Lord. Uh, to put it another way, if you do not detect some fear of, of God and humility in a person's life, you're not likely to receive much godly wisdom from them, and the honor that they supposedly have is probably something they've taken to themselves or that other men have given them. It's not something that God gave them, because that always comes with, with godly fear and godly humility. J.I. Packer writes, Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, which is another way of speaking about the fear of the Lord, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, can divine wisdom become ours. Let me just read it again. Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, Sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, can divine wisdom become ours. And I, I would add to that, not until then can God safely bring honor our way. So you see in the book of Proverbs, God cautioning against giving honor to a fool. Why, why is that important? Well, first of all, he says it's not fitting to give honor to a fool. That is, they don't deserve it. Unfortunately, the world doesn't go by that standard. So first of all, it's not fitting. They don't deserve it. Second, because giving honor to a fool will bring harm. In other words, you'll be asking for trouble if you give honor to a fool. So let's look at these verses that bring this out. First of all, Proverbs 26.1 says this. Like snow in summer and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. What's, what's he saying there? Well, he's, he's drawing a picture for us here. As far as God's concerned, as far as God's concerned, this is not the right place for honor to be given, just like it's not... It's not uh, helpful to have uh, snow, uh, how's it put, uh, snow in the summer or rain at harvest. It's not the right place for it. So, again, as far as God is concerned, honor should only go to those who take their rightful position before him, and that rightful position is humility. Before God honors anyone, he humbles them. And then the second thing we brought out in Proverbs 26, 8. Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. Why do you put a stone in a sling? You're looking to do harm. We're going to use that stone to sling at someone to do harm. Such will be the result of giving honor to a fool. It'll bring harm. It's not fitting. 
and it's, it'll bring harm. It's harmful. And again, I say it's unfortunate, but we see this happening over and over again, especially in politics and in the media. Honor is given to fools, and consequently, harm comes from it. So what I want to do then is just uh, draw out a few more principles from this verse. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. First, I would say this, if we want to impart wisdom to anyone, we should instruct them in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're not going to impart wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about godly wisdom here. Uh, what, what the writer is saying is that just as a foundation for a right worldview, a right understanding of anything, you got to have the fear of the Lord there. A reverence and awe for your Creator. And then as Christians, your Redeemer. A lot right along with that, if we want to receive wisdom from someone, we should look for someone who fears the Lord. Now, it's true that you can gain a lot of instruction from people who do not fear the Lord, but you're not going to gain godly wisdom from them. If you want real wisdom, you should be looking for someone who fears the Lord. We live in a world where knowledge has increased, but wisdom has decreased. Why is that? Because we're living in a time, at least in the United States, there's, there's pockets where this isn't true, but in the United States in general, we're living in a time where there's less and less fear of the Lord. Consequently, there is less wisdom. Knowledge is increasing just constantly. Instructions about this and things we can, we can learn. But as far as godly wisdom, that's decreasing because there is a decrease in the fear of the Lord in our land. Jeremiah said it this way concerning the people of his day. They have rejected the word of the Lord, and what kind of wisdom do they have? Well, it's an open-ended question, but the answer... What kind of wisdom do they have? They have a false, man-centered, arrogant, worldly wisdom that's foolish. And that's what we're experiencing more and more in America. They've rejected the word of the Lord. They rejected the fear of God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So consequently, we end up with not wisdom, but shrewdness and a false wisdom another thing I would say that we can glean from this it says here the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and we've said that if we want to impart wisdom to someone we need to instruct them in the fear of the Lord this implies that the fear of the Lord can be taught to others That doesn't mean that you can put the fear of the Lord in someone else's heart. Only God can do that. 
but we can certainly show them by our lives and tell them with our lips what it means to fear the Lord. The psalmist says this, and this is in Psalm 34, 11. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He said, I'm going to teach you about it. And here's what he says. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He's telling you what part of what the fear of the Lord is. Keep your tongue from evil evil, and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. These are the marks of godly fear, a God-fearing person. Now that term, God-fearing, is not much used in our day. You just don't hear about God-fearing people much anymore. But it is a description of a godly Individual, at least it was a description in past generations. That was one of the ways a Christian was described as a God-fearing person. Uh, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we can bring something of the fear of God into our family situations, into our classroom if you're a student, into the workplace, into our neighborhood. We know that the scriptures say the natural man of the natural man that there's no fear of God before their eyes. And that means that God is not in a person's thoughts. When you say there's no fear of God before their eyes, he's just God's not in their thoughts. Or if they if there is some concept of God there, it's a distorted view of him, so distorted that they have no concern about him or fear of him. No hatred of sin. His presence is not acknowledged, and they're not turning away from evil. So that's what it means. There's no fear of God before their eyes. But as we lead a God-fearing life before other people, they're made aware of the reality of God. They're made aware that they too are living under the eye of God. If you walk and, and talk as if you're living under the eye of God, that makes other people aware of that reality also. What we're doing is reinforcing that God-given sense of right and wrong, that innate sense of God that they're seeking to suppress just by walking before them as a God-fearing person. We're instructing them, in other words, we're instructing them in the fear of the Lord. They may call you a fool as you seek to walk before them in the fear of God. And as you turn away from evil, they may say you're a fool. And yet, as they reap the consequences of their bad decisions of not walking in the fear of God, uh, they may well... Uh, acknowledge, maybe grudgingly, but they may well acknowledge that you had wisdom that they don't possess. They called you a fool, but they'll realize there was some wisdom there as you're walking with God and they start reaping the consequences of not walking with him. But even with that, 
and we see it many times in the life of people around us and, and in the world in general, even then, unfortunately, the world never seems to really learn the lesson. It still continues to give honor to those who have not yet learned humility or the wisdom of fearing God. Pride and self-confidence and self-exaltation often seem to be the prerequisites for positions of power and honor in this world. That's why Jesus said even uh, as he looked around at the situation back then, he said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. They were people of pride and arrogance, but they were in positions of power. The great men of the earth who most often make it into the history books, they're the mighty ones. They're the shrewd ones. They're the powerful ones according to the flesh. Now the other side of this truth that we're looking at tonight is found in Proverbs 16:18, where it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And again, quite often you'll see this truth brought out in the lives of people around us and especially out in the world uh, on a large, on the bigger stage. Um, it will ultimately always, uh, we see it quite often in people around us, but, we, but ultimately we'll see it in every case. It'll ultimately be true that uh, God will destroy the proud person and give grace to the humble, honor that humble person. Matthew Henry said it this way, There is no lasting honor apart from a prior submission to God. There may be honor that the world has, but there's no lasting honor apart from prior submission to God. And by that he means a humbling of oneself, Though the world may give its honors to one who is in rebellion against God, it will not be a lasting honor, but will be a great frustration in the end when great shame comes upon the rebel, those who have rebelled against God. Which, is, which, which then is better, a momentary worldly honor, which is followed by eternal shame, or humility under God, followed by eternal honor with God? So ultimately, we know this verse always applies. But even in this life, we see examples of, of this principle uh, that pride goes before destruction. And I, I just uh, picked out three here. They all start with N. Uh, Nero, Napoleon, and Nietzsche. Let me just give you a little synopsis of their lives. It's, uh, it's a, quite a commentary on this thing of pride going before destruction. Here's Nero, the proud, pompous, perverted emperor of Rome who persecuted Christians. He had himself hailed as God, as a God, and styled himself the world's savior. He supposedly played the fiddle while Rome burned and then blamed the Christians for 
its destruction. But in the end, what happens to this proud one? Well, he ends up committing suicide as he vainly proclaims, what an artist the world is losing in me. Just foolishness as he dies, killing himself. Go centuries forward, you come to Napoleon. Here's another man who's emperor. And for a time, it seems like he was invincible, conquering one nation after another until all of Europe is under his control. When the pope tries to place a crown upon Napoleon's head, proclaiming him emperor, Napoleon grabs the crown from the pope and puts it on his own head, crowns himself. Well, how did this proud man end up. Well, he ends up exiled on a little remote, desolate island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, St. Helena. Just pushed off there. And then you come to Nietzsche, maybe the most arrogant of them all, a philosopher, one who is noted for his Wisdom, supposed wisdom, his intellect, great intellect. He's the one who proclaimed that God is dead and that really what the human race needs is a bunch of what he called in German Ubermensch, which translated as supermen. We need a bunch of supermen to rule this world, dominate this world. How did this proud intellectual Superman end up, this one who did not fear God. Well, he spent the last 11 years of his life in an insane asylum. And uh, as I recall, I didn't have time to look this up, but as I recall, his sister sold tickets for people to come to see Superman in the insane asylum. Well, Pride goes before destruction. But let's consider the example, uh, some examples of what our verse is talking about here. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Before God honors someone, there's a uh, humility that must take place, a humbling that must take place. And that's true for every Christian, because you can't become a Christian without becoming humble, getting off your high horse, acknowledging your need, your dependence, your absolute dependence upon God. Those that have been taught the godly wisdom of the fear of the Lord and that God has humbled are the ones that he honors. They're the ones he exalts. You can think in the scriptures of Moses, 40 years in the desert before God uses him to deliver the Hebrew people out of Egypt. You can think of David, that young, overlooked shepherd boy that becomes king. You can think of proud Paul being knocked off his horse, humbled, blinded, uh, made an apostle. And then after his conversion, uh, humbled in other ways uh, because he's by his own people, considered the scum of the earth, 
and by the the uh, the Greeks a fool, and yet God uses him to advance the gospel in ways that few other men have ever been used. Probably one of the most godly people that ever lived. This man that God humbled. Come through church history, you come to a man like John Bunyan, a poor tinker, Mincy, fixed pots and pans. Uh, thrown into jail. He called it a squalid den because it was such a terrible place to be. What happens there in that humble position? Well, God uses him to write one of the masterpieces of Christian literature, Pilgrim's Progress. Before honor comes humility, you see. Or you can think of John Wesley going to America to convert the Indians and finds out that he needs to be converted himself. Here is one who is humbled then through his conversion and used to bring others, thousands of others, to faith and to really change the course of English history. Or think of William Carey, and I'll just spend a little more time on William Carey uh, because it's such a clear example of what we're talking about here. Before honor comes humility and also the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Uh, William Carey. Today we call him, he's known as the father of modern mission movement, but that's not, that's not the way he started. In his day, he never attained to even the equivalent of a high school education. Now that's important to remember as we go through the rest of this, not even uh, the equivalent of a high school education. He was a failure in business, impoverished most of his life. He failed at his first bid at becoming an ordained minister because they said his preaching was boring. That was a little encouragement to me. <laughs> but he pressed on. Uh, and he had a desire, a real desire, to carry the gospel forth, and especially to foreign lands, which was kind of a foreign thing at that time. He was told that he was an enthusiast, which back in that day meant he was a fanatic, what we would call a fanatic. And you know what they told him, if God, when God is pleased to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. In other words, don't worry about it. Nevertheless, he pressed on and goes, goes to India. What's the experience there? Poverty, disease. He got malaria, dysentery, cholera, and he almost died. They didn't have them all at the same time, but just uh, one thing after another in terms of uh, setbacks. Much grief, much loneliness, much, much discouragement. One son dies. His wife goes into a uh, depression and later dies. He marries again. That wife dies. Another son dies. Think of this. This is, this is what's going on with this guy as he's seeking to do what God laid upon his heart in the fear of God. He goes on. Uh, actually, the expected lifespan of an Englishman in India at that time was about six months. Yet he labored on in India for 41 years without a furlough, without stopping once and going back. After six years of work, not one convert. He wrote of his early years in India 
that his mind was often almost dried up by discouragement and want of success. But again, he pressed on, or as he said, I plodded on, plodded on. And God proved faithful, and God's word proved true that before honor comes humility. And that humility goes before honor. His achievements, when we look at them, I've, I've mentioned all the discouragements and all the setbacks, but if you look at his achievements, they seem almost unbelievable. He translated the complete Bible into six different languages. Now remember, he never even got a high school education. largely because of his repeated protests of what was going on in India, the practices of infanticide, which was very common, drowning uh, or exposing unwanted babies, the practice of sati, which was burning widows upon the, the fire of the dead husband, uh, the slave trade, and, and also exposing sick and elderly. The lepers were burned to death, elderly were taken out to the river and left to die. These were all practices in India at the time. Those things were abolished, largely because of what he was doing and saying and the, exhibiting the fear of God before this ungodly people. He founded schools and medical facilities, and most of all, he sparked a whole new era in mission work. That's why he's called the father of modern missions. So again, I say, before honor comes humility. That's what the Word of God says. When the humility has been put there, then God can safely put honor there. There's not going to be a person that becomes puffed up because of their accomplishments because God's already humbled them. The last few years of his life, he was famous, and people began to laud him for his labors. What was his attitude? I have done little for God. The less said about me, the better. When he was dying in 1834, he summoned his fellow missionary, Alexander Duff, to his side and whispered, Mr. Duff, you have been speaking about Dr. Carey, Dr. Carey. When I'm gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. And this is what he had put on his tomb. This is what he requested as his epitaph, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. In other words, I'm totally trusting in Christ, not anything I've done. Well, you could go on and look at many examples in the scriptures and from church history. But of course, the great ex example of this reality uh, before honor comes humility is Christ himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So just in closing then, in relationship to this verse, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. We all have a choice before us. We can follow in the footsteps in our own little way. We can follow in the footsteps of people like Nero and Napoleon and Nietzsche, not fearing God and being proud, which is really just Satan's way. That's all we're talking about there. And we'll find out that pride goes before destruction. Or we can follow in the steps of men like Paul and Bunyan and Wesley and Carey and many others, but especially the way that the Lord has shown us, and find out that the way to honor is humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, I think those are some things that we should think of as we think of this verse here. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility.